0: Hi, everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Spill the OT podcast. And this week, I'm really excited. We are talking to a lady who worked in a prison. And not only that, she took this job back in the early 90s or mid 90s. And she wasn't even aware that it was a job at a prison, she took the job expecting it to be an outpatient setting. And only to find out on her first day that she was going to be working in a prison. So this is a really cool interview. I do want to just say that I've also heard from a couple other people who were not willing to record for the podcast, but they let me know that they also have worked in a prison and they had pretty good experiences. This particular experience maybe is not the most positive, probably because she just wasn't expecting to be in that position. But that's not to say if you yourself have been curious about working in this particular setting that this won't be a good job for you. Because obviously there are positions available. I think that there is a smaller amount out there. But they are important positions because everybody does need therapy in some respect. So Don't let this particular interview discourage you if that's something you're interested in. If you're someone who just is curious and wants to hear a story of someone's experience, then keep listening because it is pretty cool to hear what you went through. Okay, so in other news, I want to bring back the OT wins and fails for the week because I did hear from somebody First, I'll start with my OT win because the person who emailed in had an OT fail. So my win for the week is I was working with a patient and she was a total hip replacement. And you know when you've kind of done the same thing on autopilot for forever and you introduce like long-handled adaptive equipment and you just kind of go through the motions a little bit without kind of the excitement behind it? I don't know. Maybe that's not you, and maybe you can't relate. Really. But for me, you know, I show them the equipment. Usually they've seen it before, and it's nothing too life-changing. Well, this particular woman had never seen this before, and she was so excited by it. So I got to show her everything. Like, I showed her a long-handled sponge. I showed her a sock aid. We got her hooked up with some elastic shoelaces, and you would have thought she was on... Like Ellen's 12 Days of Christmas, she was so excited and happy and really willing to try it out. And she lived by herself. So she just kept thanking me and saying how that this could really help her be independent at home, which is kind of like an OT dream because that's the whole point, right? Is we want people to be independent. And I don't know, I don't want to say all the time, but often we don't really get that excitement or buy-in, and she was just so enthusiastic. It really warmed my heart. Okay, let me read you the OT fail for the week. And this person wanted to be anonymous. She wrote, I walked in the patient's room, and the patient's daughter was sitting on the bed. It was early, and I wasn't thinking, and I asked if she was the patient's wife. She looked at me and snarled, no, I'm his daughter and wouldn't talk to me directly for the rest of the session. Uh, Okay, so I haven't done this exactly, but I did something similar but kind of in reverse. There was a patient's uncle and he was significantly older than my patient, maybe, I don't know, 25-30 years older but my patient was kind of in rough condition. I only work per diem, so I didn't know his exact age. So I said, oh, is this your brother? And he was like, no, that's my uncle, and he's 25 years older than me. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So I kind of had the reverse experience. Since then, I think it's a good idea if I see somebody with a visitor, I just kind of say like, oh, who's your friend? Or, oh, who's your visitor? I'd love to meet them. And let the introduction kind of come from their end. Uh, I think that sometimes that will help with any (laughs) mislabels. All right. I don't have too much to say. And this interview was really exciting for me, probably because I just never spoken to anybody who's ever worked in a prison in general, let alone as a therapist. So let's jump right into it. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Sure. Thank you for having me.
0: So before we dive too deep into your experience in the prison, can you share uh, what degree you have and when you graduated and kind of your career trajectory so far?
1: Sure, sure. Um, I graduated um, from a PTA school um, in Massachusetts. Um, It was, at the time, it was LaSalle College. The program, unfortunately, is no longer in existence, but um, I was able to obtain an Associate of Applied Science and Physical Therapy Assistant, and also stayed on an extra year to get a bachelor's degree in exercise physiology. My experience pretty much has been in skilled nursing facilities, long-term care, Um, I have a lot of dementia training. I worked in an Alzheimer's facility in Massachusetts for about seven or eight years, Um, had no experience with that population beforehand, um, but got to, with a lot of hands-on, enjoyed that population that's in today. That's actually one of my most favorite populations that I like to work with, patients that have uh, Alzheimer's-related dementia. I also, um, for the past four to five years, have been doing home health. So I've worked in pretty much every setting except pediatrics. I have no pediatrics experience, nor do I hope to gain any at this point in time. But that's pretty been the gamut of what I have um, done in the past uh, 20-some-odd years.
0: Okay, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So now the juicy stuff. I want to hear everything about your experience when you were in the prisons
1: working in the prisons right so my, this was actually my first job i had um my parents are from Georgia, and you know i was uh in school in massachusetts i decided to go back to georgia and work for a little bit and you know spend time with relatives and so forth so that was one of the first jobs that i got outside of pta school I remember, I don't remember the company I was working for at the time. It's probably no longer in existence because this was over 20 something odd years ago. But, you know, I was able to secure a position. What they did not tell me until I got there that it was going to be at a prison. All I I knew at the time was that I was going to be working in an outpatient facility. So I'm just thinking sports medicine. You know, it's going to be a lot of orthopedic patients, total knee replacements, total hip replacements, so forth. Stuff that I had been trained for. In school so I showed up the first day It was at an off-site office and there was a gentleman that met me there I think he was the recruiter at the time because I hadn't yet met the physical therapist so he says you know come in we'll have you sign the paperwork and so forth so he says you know we'll go to the job site after we get all the paperwork done so I said well where is the job site he says it's um, in a prison I said excuse me <laughs> I said, a prison, I said, I thought you said I was going to be working in an outpatient facility. He says, you are, but it's, it's an adjunct um, facility. It's a medical prison. What it was at the time, it was in Georgia and they would have the inmates come from all over Georgia to get medical care. So whatever they needed at the time that was, you know, it could have been an acute injury. They would go to this, they would ship them to this um, prison hospital. They would get their care and then they would go back to wherever their home base was. I had no idea that this was the situation I was going to be in. So I was like frantic. And by this time, you know, I had already moved all my stuff down. I was staying with a relative temporarily. So I basically really didn't have an out. And I needed to work because I had to start paying back some of my loans uh, from school. So I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And by this time, I was, I think I was about either 20 or 21. I was very, very young, very, very naive. Still trying to find my way in life. Um, still uneasy. With that whole situation, but I just decided to to give it a chance. So that's kind of how I ended up uh, working in the prison system. It was totally my chance. I did not know beforehand, and if I knew what I knew now, I probably would have never worked in that type of facility. It was it was a learning experience for me.
0: So it sounds like they weren't very transparent when they signed us on. Do you feel that was done intentionally?
1: I think it was um, at the point now because I I think if you know, if I had known that beforehand, I would have never taken the job because, um, you know, I told my parents, and they're like, I it out of prison. What kind of therapy are you doing in prison? I had to explain the whole thing about it being a medical facility and, and so forth. So they were really uneasy with me doing that. Uh, but like I mentioned, you know, I needed to work. It was too late to kind of find something. And I just wanted to kind of start, um, you know, honing my skills, everything that I had learned in NPTA school, because this was like the summer of 95. So I had just gotten out of school, you know, um, took the board exam, passed that. And the next step was to get a job. And I had already, you know, passed the boards and so forth. So I think at the time Georgia didn't allow for a temporary license. So you actually act, actually had to have your state licensure in order to work. So I was I was ready to go and, and ready to start getting some experience. Uh just wasn't so sure about that setting at the time. So they were very, you know, weren't forthcoming with information.
0: Yeah, and you had already uprooted your whole life to exactly. move there.
1: Exactly. It was too late to go back to Massachusetts at that point. I was already there. Things moved, car down. There was no turning back at that point. I, I pretty much had to, to give it a go.
0: Okay. That sounds like a lot, but was. I would love to hear about what, like, an average day would look like for you when you were there.
1: So this is the thing. When we came in in the morning, there would be a separate entrance for employees to come in. So I'd park my car on the lot and then come in, and then they give you almost like a key to get whoever, whoever signs in, in the morning, you get a special key that opens the door to the rehab facility. So as soon as you get in there, um, you have to start counting every what they, at the time, what they were calling sharps. You had to count everything in the uh, rehab room, meaning any scissors, any whatever it was that was considered to be a sharp or anything that they could use in terms of like contraband it needed to be counted because you had to account for it at the end of the day if anything went missing it had to be reported because that probably meant that an inmate took it for whatever reason to manufacture whatever contraband that they wanted to manufacture so it was a lot of responsibility a lot of a lot of accounting during the day we had um two inmates uh, that were assigned to our area, they were basically rehab aides. So at the time, we had a lot of wound patients and uh, we had a whirlpool. So they were responsible for getting the treatment session ready, you know, making sure the whirlpool's clean, filling it up with water. You know, a lot of times they would go um, if needed be, like if the inmate or the patient was in a wheelchair, they would go and get the patient and bring them down. Because we had quite a lot of patients that were quadriplegics, paraplegics. Um, a lot of them had injuries from gunshot wounds out in the community. So we had a lot of those that may need assistance getting down to the rehab facility. So we pretty much used them as our point person. So they would prepare the treatment sessions for me, whatever I needed. You know, they would have that there. Uh, as well as cleaning up after we finished the treatment. So it was kind of good to have them there because I didn't have to worry about doing, you know, any laundry, you know, getting the treatment session ready. It, it, they were pretty much our point person if I needed anything. I was to go, you know, to those two t- individuals and it was um it was quite interesting because like I said I was at the time I was like 20, 21 years old and even when they would address you they would say, you know, miss so and so. They were not allowed to call you by your first name. And that was kind of weird for me because, you know, I was young <laughs> and it just, it was just kind of odd. And I'm like, why is he calling me so-and-so? And then my supervisor's like, well, he has to, nobody in here can address you by your first name. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So that's basically what the gamut of what it was. They were, you know, there to pretty much prepare the treatment session for us. So they were great resource.
0: That's very interesting. It reminds me a little bit, I did a field work in inpatient psych, mm-hmm. and we also had to, like, count the sharps for kind of different reasons, but... Exactly,
1: exactly. yeah. And that was an everyday occurrence. What I, I didn't really like, though, I, I felt... And this was a turning point for why I decided to leave. Um, I had worked with a lot of diagnoses. It was a lot of orthopedic patients, which I enjoyed. It was pretty much sports medicine. What I did not like is that if there's, because it, it was a medium security prison. So if anything was to go on in that facility that they considered a true emergency, you know, meaning you know, some sort of altercation you know, between inmates or whatever it may have been, the whole facility would get shut down, meaning they would not let anybody out And they would not let anybody in, even if you had a even if it occurred right around the change of shift, because everything went in shifts, it it got shut down completely. So I remember several times that I was ready to go home. I had done my eight hours and God forbid something happened 30 minutes before that. I couldn't leave. So that put a huge damper at the time on my personal life. You know, I had things with church that I was involved in, and it just made an awful situation. For me. It was more than more than five times that that happened, and I just said, you know, at this point, I feel as though I'm in prison. I, you know, my um, freedom to leave and go is basically gone at this point. So that was the turning point for me, where I was like, you know, it's about time that I probably look into getting another job.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. And were you compensated for your time when you would have to
1: stay af- after? No, no. It was strictly, eight, they would only pay you for the eight hours. And, oh. and that actually, at the time I actually signed a contract, which I, I haven't done since then. But, um, you know, I had a contract where I was working there and, and that was stipulated in the terms. that You would only get, you know, compensated for up to 40 hours. So I mean and you know you could be stuck there after work, you know, an hour or two while they iron out whatever is going on and that's uncompensated time.
0: Oh, that's so frustrating. That- Hey, everybody. I am so genuinely excited to tell you about MedBridge. So MedBridge is a continuing ed site, and they have tons of continuing ed courses all available online. You can stream them at your own pace. They also have home exercise plans, which are incredible. You can literally build your own plan with pictures that can perfectly suit whatever client you're working for. It's honestly so awesome. And you get unlimited CEUs. And these CEU courses are just really intriguing and exciting. Like, it's, I've done continuing ed online in the past, and these ones that they select are just very much in line with what I find interesting, and I feel like you might find them interesting as well. So, are you struggling with finding the resources for your time for CEUs? With almost 2,000 accredited evidence-based streaming courses, live CEU webinars, MedBridge is your all-in-one solution. And actually, if you use my code, it's spill the OT capital S, capital T, capital OT. So spill the OT, one word, capital S, capital T, capital OT. You can get one hundred and seventy five dollars off of your year long subscription, which is awesome. <laughs> That's like significant amount of money off. So if you are interested? Please go check it out. Again, use the code "spill the OT" capital S, capital T, capital OT, all one word. All right. I really hope that you go check it out. Enjoy. When you saw the patients, how often would you see them, and like how long would you see them over the course of a couple weeks or months?
1: So this is the thing I, from what I remember, um they were at least two to three times a week for, for on an outpatient basis. um very rarely did we see any patient uh, that was five times a week. Um, you know, most of them you know were orthopedic patients. um I had one patient you know as a matter of fact, um it was a rotator cuff injury, and it's interesting because when you're working with these patients, um, it's just like working with anybody else, basically, you know, you talk to the patient. Or the inmate, you try to establish your report. And I was I was very good at that then. So you know, casually you're just talking to somebody. You know, you know, what are you doing here? And then you know, the person comes back and says, Well, you know, I hurt myself with a fight with some correctional officers an inmate. I was dragged down a flight of stairs. You know, that was the reason why that person had a rotator cuff injury. So it was very interesting to learn not only the reasoning behind why people were there, but what necessitated that injury. So, and of course, you know, they don't have to share that information with you, but it, it was just interesting how people could be, could talk so candidly about things that they had, you know, very negative and very bad things that they had done in the community. And to them, it was just, you know, as a matter of fact, it, that kind of blew my mind because I had a gentleman that said to me one time, I said, you know, you're a good person. I said, what are you, what are you doing here? And he's like, he's like, well, you know, I ran into some issues, you know, I killed half family and I'm like what and then I said okay I said we'll go back to doing you know the time he was doing some stretches I said we'll go back to doing that but the way that he said it was just so matter-of-factly like oh today's Monday it's a great day and I'm looking at him like are you kidding me <laughs> I mean people from all different backgrounds I remember there was a psych unit and it was strictly for women and we had a few patients up there they were all women And um, at the time, I don't remember a lot of the diagnosis. I know it was a lot of psychological issues, you know, depression, anxiety, so forth. Um, And mostly with those patients, a lot of them were bed bound. I I remember them, um, I had one lady and she didn't say anything to me. I didn't even think she even knew I was in the room with her. You could just see a glassy look in her eyes, spacey, not even aware of what's going on. And she was on range of motion. This was a, a point in time where you could do you know, stuff simply like exercise range of motion, and not really have that functional component. Of course, today we know in the current climate with healthcare, that's not really reimbursable by Medicare and insurance companies. There, there has to be a functional component. But at the time, it was mid 90s. This was before PPS. You know, all the the changes that we saw that occurred with that. So you could get away with doing that. So it was a lot of range of motion. Very rarely was I getting people up to walk because they were pretty much bed bound. You were you, you were just you know basically instructing the staff staff on positioning and so forth because they had full nursing units so you figure they had a medical director they had nurses there you had um remember going up on the floor and you had it was almost shaped almost in like an octagon almost and in the center you had whatever guard that you know was there for that shift so he would sit in the middle and he could see what was going on they had cameras in there so he could see into all the rooms what was going on with those psych patients so what would happen if you need to see a patient you would stop at the desk and you know let the guard know you know i need to go in room 10 or something so he would open that up and then when you went in there the doors would lock so you would be in there with this patient they can see what's going on in there um and i remember one time i had a, a gentleman this was in the the male section of the psych unit I actually got stuck in a room with somebody um, who was ranting and raving, you know, um, trying to work with the gentleman. He's way off on another tangent. And it was kind of frightening because I'm like, you know, you have someone that that seems to be there cognitively, you know, for that snap moment in time. And then it, it switches and, you know, you see this big change. And that's basically what happened. I don't know what triggered him while I was in there working with him because we were working on, you know, walking, some balance exercises but he just quick change in his personality and demeanor and he just starts ranting and raving. And, you know, there was a way to communicate with the guard that I wanted to leave. I was ready to leave. Of course, for whatever reason, the guard was not there to let me out of the room because you're never supposed to leave the post. And he did. I don't know where he went at that time. So I'm stuck in the room with this gentleman for God knows how long (laughs) waiting for somebody to open the door to let me out. And I'm like, Yeah, it was a combination of events, but that was another situation where I was like, you know what, I don't think this is for me. It's time for me to look for something else. When I feel as though my safety is being threatened.
0: Yeah, I feel like safety is the number one important thing.
1: It is. Did
0: they? You only went into a person's like individual room if they were in the psych portion, not the actual prison, right?
1: Right. Yeah. You had the the regular general population. um, You know, they were able to, you know, come and go as they pleased. If they knew they had a therapy appointment, you know, they would get released um, from whoever the guard was on their floor. Like they knew where everybody was going. They could account for, well, so-and-so's going down to therapy like the two aides we had, that was their job. I don't remember knowing if they got paid for it or not. I I don't remember that, but that was their job. They were there the entire year that I was there. And matter of fact, one of them was even released from prison before I had even left there. Oh. So you had some of them that were just there temporarily and they knew that, you know, they were going to be getting out and X amount of time. You know, you had some that had been there 20 years. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting because I had one gentleman, he was a quadriplegic. I remember this vividly. And he says, um, you know, I had him on the mat and I was doing some stretches. And he says to me, he's like, you know, I'm getting out soon. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I've got only a couple months. He's like, you know, do you mind if I get out? If, you know, we can, you know, talk to each other and, you know, kind of maintain a friendship. And I said, you know, I don't think that's a very good idea. I said, that would be, you know, me crossing the lines professionally with you. And I said, no, I said, we just need to stick to the relationship that we have here, which is strictly, you know, um, therapist assistant inpatient I said that's that's totally inappropriate you would you would get offers of that nature as well as you know some inmates saying well you know I'm kind of short this this month can you put some money on my books like they would feel very comfortable asking you things of that nature knowing that you could not do it but almost like well let's see if we can test her to get her to do it." it was a lot of that going on and you had to be very very careful and let them know at the day you know especially the inmates that I had there I said you know Basically, we're all your direct supervisor in here. We can give you instructions on what to do. And, you know, I can give you feedback on your job performance. And and that gets relayed back, you know, to the officials and the warden and so forth. So it was interesting. There, There were a couple of blurred lines there that I think people crossed over at times. I was never that individual, but I did notice some inappropriate things going on at times as well in our department.
0: Oh gosh! Well, and you were so young. I
1: feel like maybe they thought that you'd be kind of an easier target. It, exactly, exactly. I was very, very young, very, very naive, and still trying to make my way in life. That was like the worst situation I could have found myself in. Uh-huh. Um, but it, you know, it worked out to a degree. I just, um, you know, said so, as, as I said previously that I felt that I needed to seek other employment when I felt that my safety was being threatened. I remember um, at one point, because the rehab uh, floor was on the, it was on the first floor, first level. And I was going upstairs. I think I was going to file something in the charts. Back then, everything was on paper. It it wasn't, you know, an electronic medical record like it is now. So a lot of filing. So, you know, I was going up on whatever floor to do some filing. And the doors open, and there was an inmate in there, a black inmate in there. Not that that makes any difference, but there was. So we didn't acknowledge each other. I'm standing on one side of the elevator. He's standing on the other. And you know how you can just see something out the corner of your eye? Yeah. And I thought, oh, and he started to like reach over. And I said to him immediately, I said, don't you try it. And he kind of like jumped back a little bit. I don't know what he was attempting to do, but I'm like, whatever you're thinking about is not going down in this elevator. And, and whatever he would have tried, he wouldn't have had that much time to do anyway, because there was only, I think at the time, maybe six or seven floors in the facility. So it, it just got to the point where, and I, and I will blame myself for putting myself in that situation. I probably should have never gotten on the elevator with him alone. And I don't know what made me do that. But after that experience, I started looking at things a little differently in terms of the reality of really where I was working at
0: in general what did the staff to patient ratio look like
1: you basically had you mean in terms of in the therapy department or just
0: yeah like normally if you were on an elevator how would staff handle that because i feel like in my mind i would expect that there would almost be an escort for each patient so it surprises me that we would put that on the therapist especially if you're not working directly for the prison you're kind of like um A contracted person. Exactly.
1: And, and, and that's, and that's what it was. I don't remember offhand exactly what the, the ratio was, but, um, you know, the, the inmates that were of a higher risk, I should say, those were always accompanied down to the rehab room. Like you would literally have, you know, a guard bring an inmate down that was in shackles, handcuffs, hold on. They take all that stuff off you do whatever you need to do with it like they would stay in the room like the entire time and i think a lot of those inmates they may have had some behavioral issues for whatever reason they need to be escorted down um you did have that situation at some time but mostly for the most part um a lot of the inmates they were they were free i mean they would be going from one part of the facility to the other they were free to come and go basically as they chose they had a little recreation room like i would find a lot of the Patients that I was looking for, they would be in the rec room watching TV, listening to the radio, that type of thing. And you know, you'd be like, "Oh, I'm looking for so and so. Like, oh, he's down there." And I'm like, "Okay, well, let me go get him and tell him he needs to come down to therapy." So there was a lot of they had a lot of freedom. It was medium security, but like I said, you did have some that did have behavioral issues, and those inmates were always accompanied by a staff member. It was always a correctional officer.
0: Okay. Did you ever feel like patients would? try and get injured or kind of prolong their injury in order to kind of like get a break from prison to come see you guys down at the gym there was
1: a lot of that as well yeah a lot of a lot of that i remember um we had a couple of inmates and you know they had been on i think at least three months and there was a there was one pt actually there were two pts there and they were both older men and you know they would say you know they'd be talking to them and be like you know today's the last day be discharged. and Like discharge for what? I still have XYZ problem. And the therapist is like, no, you know, that's, you know, what I've assessed, that's fine. You know, skill therapy is no longer indicated this is going to be your last day. And it was like, they would just always come up with all these excuses because it's like coming to therapy was like a release. It was an, it was basically an outlet it was almost like going to the rec room because whatever job assignment you had, you knew you could get out of that temporarily. You could come down to the therapy room, you know, you could socialize with some of the the other inmates down there, like they would all have conversations with each other while we were all working, like the whole room would be talking. And it was, to some degree it was a social hour because I was constantly having to tell, you know, people, look, I gave you this to do, please go over there and do it. You know, it's fine if you want to talk, but work and do everything that I instructed you to do as you're talking. And that happened a lot with the inmates or the rehab aides that we had down there. They would get so caught up in the social aspect of it that they're not cleaning the whirlpool that I told you to clean 15 minutes ago to get it ready for the next patient. So there's a lot of that going on.
0: Well, I feel like. Therapy in general, we're usually kind of a kinder, gentler type of person. So they might not be getting a whole lot of that in the whole like therapeutic touch. They're probably, I don't, I only know prison based off like what I've seen on TV, but they're Mm -hmm. probably not allowed to like touch anyone. So just having somebody like help you with stretches on your rotator cuff might be the only
1: touch that's allowed that month. And just having somebody just listen to, like, what's going on in the facility. Like, you learned a lot about what was going on in the facility that administration would never tell you about. Like, they were pretty much, like, the eyes and ears of the facility. And they'd be like, yeah, you know yesterday at four o'clock this happened and they tell you the whole situation I'm like oh that's interesting I'm like that happened right around the time that they shut the prison down (laughs) but you would never get that information but you would get it from the inmates because they were the eyes and the ears of the facility so you I learned a lot from them as to what was really going on yeah, there like was a lot of gossip. I can Yeah, oh, there was a ton, ton of gossip. And, and that part I tried to stay away from as much as I could because, you know, I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to do my job for eight hours and I wanted to get out of there. And it's just, I, I remember, you know, being so stressed out at times that I would like, at that time I was really into fitness and, you know, I like to run and so forth and walk. So during lunch, I would like to, I would like to get out. Like I would have my lunch and then I would get out and try to walk, run. And that happened for a day. I was only able to do that for one day. And then I got a call from the warden. He's like, oh, I need you to come down to the office. And I'm like, what does to talk to me about? He's like, well, you know, I got a report from some of the guards that you were, you know, you're walking running around on lunch. I said, yeah, I was trying to get some exercise. He's like, well, you can't do that here. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that's not allowed here. And he didn't, I didn't even probe him to ask him further. I kind of put two and two together as probably what it was, and I just said, okay. I said, don't, don't, worry about it. I said that was the the first and, and and last chance. I think what happens a lot of times is that these inmates they have they sit in their cells. They have so much time on their hands. All they do is people watch. And and that's you had some that would just sit there all day and they're just watching people come and going. And, and I knew that they were watching because I had inmates that would recall the license plate on my car. I had one say to me, oh, you're wearing a different jacket today. <laughs> I mean, it's all sorts of crazy stuff. And that told me at that point, I'm like, you know, people are actually watching what you're doing. <laughs> Nothing is a secret. And, and and that kind of blew me away. I almost felt like my privacy was being invaded to a degree, even though technically it wasn't. But it, it was just interesting how, you know, you have all these hours in a day and you have people that just sit in their cell and they, they watch people come and go. They look at the cars. They look to see what you're wearing. It kind of freaked me out a little bit
0: yeah i think that would freak me out too i don't blame you at all um how many other therapists were working with you
1: we had two pts i was the only pta uh, we had an OT. I never really saw her, though. She did a lot of hand therapy. And I think she was up on the floors a lot because very rarely nice here come down to the rehab room. And we had a speech therapist. So we had a full staff. I was the only PTA, um, you know, between the two, the two PTs there. And actually, one PT was full-time, and the other one was kind of like, um, he was kind of part-time. So he worked there, and then he had another position where he was working in a, a true <laughs> outpatient facility.
0: Oh, Okay. And how many patients would you say you saw on a typical day? Like, was the. Prompt- we
1: would see, oh, for, I remember at, t- at one time we had it, at least, oh, it could have been at least 30 something patients that would walk through that door throughout the day. Wow. So it was a lot, it was very, very busy, a lot of dovetailing. You know, I would get somebody so, you know, if I had a whirlpool patient, get them set up, and then I have somebody doing something on the other side, and then I got each set up over here. So it was very, very busy. Between me and that PT, we would see at least at least 30 patients. It was very, very busy, which is why we needed the two rehab aides there, because there's no way you would have been able to, to manage all that without having those two guys there. And they had been there for a while, so they knew the whole routine. Like, they even told me (laughs) how the job went. And they're like, yeah, we do X, Y, Z when we come in in the morning, and do this throughout the day. And I'm like, wow, you pretty much know the whole setup. So it was busy, very busy facility.
0: And how did you guys go about billing? Would you bill through Medicare, or was it a separate billing through the prison?
1: That to be honest with you, I don't remember that at, at this time. I'm not quite sure about that in terms of the billing. Uh, I was like I, like I was saying uh, previously, I was still new to to that whole arena in terms of even working um, within rehab, so I'm not really too certain about the the billing part of it. Oh, that I don't.
0: it was probably unique to your individual prison. Anyway, I was just curious. I have a couple more questions. Was is there anything that you really liked about working there? Like anything that sticks out as being your favorite thing?
1: What I did like, I did like to do a lot of, and this is when I really got comfortable, you know, with public speaking and instructing people on, on what, you know, I wanted them to carry out. There was a lot of in-service training. And I actually enjoyed that because I would have, you know, the new hires come down, you would have new nurses that would, you know, be employed through the facility, and they would go through an orient, orientation process just like we do now, you know, in in every department. So that went on weekly. So I enjoyed, you know, talking about what we did from a therapy standpoint and how we were there to really support the staff. I would do in-service trainings on how to, you know, use the mechanical lift because, like I said, you had some patients that were were bed bound, and you know, you needed to get them out of bed at some point. So we would do a lot of instructions on, you know, this is how the mechanical lift works this is how you set it up, you know, I would use one of the inmates as a patient, we, you know, I'd actually have them demo it, and so forth, and then we would, you know, learn from each other, but I I did enjoy that part, just teaching people in terms of what physical therapy was, and everything that it entails, so that I enjoyed.
0: Cool, sounds like you'd be a really good teacher, then.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a, a turning point for me, where it was like, okay, tell me everything, about what you do here. And, and I enjoy it. Even, even to today, I enjoy talking, you know, about physical therapy and what it entails and so forth. But I get, uh, you know, very enthusiastic about that because I've been doing it for so long. So it, it, it just kind of comes naturally and you, you know, you build up that rapport with families and patients and so forth.
0: So this is kind of a hard question to answer, but you worked there in 1993 approximately?
1: 95. uh, Between 95 and 96. I was there about a year.
0: If you were to kind of translate approximately what salary you were making in 1995 money to what that would look like now, could you give like a ballpark of what somebody might expect to make in that area?
1: That is tough. I at the time I remember exactly how much I was getting paid. I was literally getting paid a little over fifteen dollars an hour, <laughs> which is is nothing really to sustain yourself at, at this point in time. Um, you know, back then, you know, cost cost of living was different back then. Today, I'm not sure how that would translate over, but it it wasn't a whole lot for me to do a whole lot with. I. I that I do remember. It was very on the the low scale of pay. And I haven't quite researched that since then. Um, but of course, you know, it would have to keep in line with, you know, the area that you're in, the cost of living and so forth. So.
0: And I would imagine it could go one of two ways. I feel like either A, they would pay a lot because maybe not so many people want to work in that.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I feel like because it's that field they don't have the money to give, and it would be a really on the lower end so
1: exactly i, I don't know it's a, that's a very that's a very good question actually um and of course we know too salaries have gone down with all the changes you know that are coming down the pipe with Medicare, and you know a lot of you know companies a lot of skilled nursing facilities are, are basically closing up shops so that that would actually be something interesting to To research, you know, especially with all the changes that are coming down, you know, towards the end of the year. So,
0: do you have any words of wisdom or advice for somebody who might be, you know, working in a field like this?
1: You mean in in the prison population? Yes. Okay. I would say this is the thing. I would not work in that type of facility unless you are unless you have that go-getter personality. It, it's almost like sink or swim and it's like if there's if you have any timidness at all, you will get eaten alive in a place like that. Have to be very sure of yourself, very sure of your skills. It's a unique population I think to work with. Um, one that you probably won't get the chance to do that often. I would definitely say if you think that's an area that you think you would love to work with, I I say go for it. But then again, know what you're really getting into, though. And and that's what I I didn't know at the time. I hadn't, you know, it was just sprang on me. I didn't get a chance to really research that uh, setting. But I think it, it it was interesting. I will say that. Would I do it again? Probably not probably not 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 as a single female I I definitely would not do that again but um you know if you think you have that drive and initiative I say go for it but you know, know what you're getting yourself into make sure you do your research beforehand
0: like that's wise all right well thank you so much for coming on here I really appreciate it
1: no problem. I'm glad I was able to, you know, answer the question, give you a little bit more enlightenment as to, you know, what that facility and, and kind of setting is like. It's definitely a unique setting to work in that I think most people, probably in their life, will never get a chance to. But you know, I'm glad to say that I had the experience and have a few stories that I can relay um, with people. So if I start giving my experiences, I think people will probably want to research it a little bit more. Um, that that wasn't the best job that I ever had. And in my life but I said it's probably better that I I give some experience on that so that people aren't you know not knowing what to expect it's good to have some feedback on it all
0: right our, our final goodbyes got a little bit cut off at the end but I was so grateful that she was able to come on and share about her experiences And thanks for listening. And as always, if you can please rate and review this podcast on iTunes, that would be great. Follow me at spill underscore the underscore OT on Instagram. And if you would like to ask me any questions, next week is going to be a QA section. So email me anything at spilltheot at gmail.com. Or if you would like to be on the show for a future episode, Shoot me an email. All right, bye guys.